look at I'm delighted to be in a position to um you know, actually get some legislation passed that can make a meaningful difference in our lives and in the lives of my children and the lives of my children's children. Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet at WFPR.FM and in the local Franklin FM dial on the 102.9 on the FM band. Here today for another Making Sense of Climate session with another a repeat guest, and this is a, a good one as well, of course. My guide in this is Ted McIntyre. Ted, how are you doing this Monday? I'm doing great, Steve. Great. Happy to be here. And when we last had State Rep Jeff Roy, Jeff, you were still kind of waiting for the governor to put ink to paper, and he did. So we want to welcome you back to pick up from that and see what Great. else we would need to do to, to go forward. Great. I hope uh, I hope your listeners have not been holding their breath since that last show and that uh, <laughs> they, they did either read or see about it in the paper um, or... Nobody reads a paper these days yeah, uh, the in the news, versions. somewhere in the news yeah, uh, yeah. that, the, yes, the governor did, in fact, uh, sign the clean energy and offshore wind bill, um, albeit he signed it with a, um, a letter uh, indicating those areas that uh, he wasn't necessarily in agree with, agreement with, which uh, was a rather odd twist. Mm -hmm. But uh, it becomes the law of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, uh, notwithstanding uh, those particular objections uh, of the governor. So I don't see the point. But hey, yeah, he's so the he, governor he did and... truly have some auditor and then made some points, but he signed it. So that's the important thing. <laughs> the important thing is he signed it. It's important that that bill became law. And uh, we now not only have goals that we set in 2021, but we have tools to reach those goals that we established in 2022. And for those listeners, uh, they, I hope, have been catching up. And we did cover that in some of our prior episodes. Um, so, yeah, I hope they weren't holding their breath, although one or two may have been, but I hope not. Um, but now the big question is, there's a boatload of work ahead of us. Sure. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, we uh, set up a transmission working group, a grid modernization advisory council, an intergovernmental agency to look at uh, uh, infrastructure for electric vehicles. So now the, all of those pieces have to be put in place and people have to be appointed to those working groups and commissions. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of the appointments belong to the governor, some of the appointments uh, belong to others, and some of them are clearly established based on uh, their job or their role. Within so the getting those, yeah. Uh, yeah, getting those those uh, groups, um, you know, sized up and uh, with people so that they can start doing their work is very important to this. Uh, we need to also to get some funding for some of the line items that were included. There were five line items in the bill that needed money, and much of that money was coming from the um, coming from the economic development bill, which is still uh, a work in progress. And mm -hmm. uh, hopefully, we'll have that wrapped up uh, soon. And then, amazingly, uh, within weeks of uh, the signing of this bill, the federal government. Uh, signed uh, or President Biden signed the Inflation Reduction Act, which uh, provides uh, billions of dollars in money that's going to be available to all of the states to implement some of the very programs that we called for uh, in the state legislation. It's one of those constellations of the stars where people uh, would be surprised that it was coincidental that these two things happened at the same time. Uh, but it's uh, certainly a boost for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts that uh, um, we have this legislation that we passed, which seems to anticipate what the federal government was going to do, and they are going to work together so well. And uh, I have such confidence and hope in our ability to implement many of the programs we uh, set up in this legislation. 
Jeff, I have, I have a question. If I could jump in, what's the mechanism? All right, who who is reading the Inflation Reduction Act and recognizing what opportunities there are for for Massachusetts? I mean, is that delegated to the the governor, and is there some is there someone making a checklist, sort of looking cross-checking to make sure that we take advantage of everything we can? Oh, there are many groups making checklists and and and. Uh, reviewing that legislation. My office is reviewing the legislation. Um, the Massachusetts Clean Energy Center is uh, reviewing the legislation. In fact, I met with uh, the executive director just uh, last week, and uh, we're going to exchange notes to make sure that we cover all the bases on that. I'm sure that my dear friends over at uh, Energy and Environmental Affairs are also uh, looking at it, uh, Department of Energy Resources is looking at it, and and I'm talking just from an energy perspective. Right. Um, there yeah. are other uh, things in there, but all of these groups are doing it, and some of uh, the advocacy groups are also uh, doing their work. And uh, you know, w we will all communicate and talk with one another and make sure that uh, uh, Massachusetts does take advantage of everything that uh, is available and would help us achieve our goals uh, for net zero by 2050. The, the, just, just a far, I read an article, so lots of things, and the article was talking about putting solar panels on what are called brownfields, which are sites that are industrialized already, right? And that Massachusetts is currently leading the nation by a huge margin. And uh, I mean, uh, but in the, article is making the point that the Inflation Reduction Act has money in it to encourage that installation of solar panels on brownfields because it pays into the, into the community. The brownfields are usually sort of an industrial, I mean, environmental justice zones. Mm -hmm. And this is a way, you know, a way to sort of recompense things. I, I mean, I guess that's an example of the kinds of stuff that's in the IRA that we're looking at as a state. Yep. It's, uh, you know, all of these pieces uh, can work and uh, we've just got to keep keep grabbing out, reaching out for uh, every single piece of the puzzle. And, uh, you know, we are so well equipped. And as you said it, um, you know, we tend to lead the nation. California is uh, doing some some great work. New York is doing some great work. Uh, but I think uh, this legislation is going to firmly reestablish Massachusetts as uh, uh, well poised to address uh, the climate issues. And keep in mind, eh, we've got great advocates out there like yourselves uh, that uh, really put our feet to the fire and, um, you know, make sure that uh, uh, your legislators are representing uh, what is needed to, to be done and um, Look at I'm delighted to be in a position to, um, you know, actually get some legislation passed that can make a meaningful difference in our lives and in the lives of my children and the lives of my children's children. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we're talking um, things that we have done that will uh, come to fruition in the year 2050 when I will be a wee 89 years old. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's it's amazing uh, that we uh, have come this far. And that's, it, it's, to me, it's encouraging because the, when you read the IPCC report uh, from earlier this year talking about uh, climate change uh, being uh, something that is, is, we are slowly losing control of the ability to uh, stop the negative effects. And we see the wildfires in California. We see the the hurricanes uh, growing in magnitude of uh, their destructive behavior and the uh, and the changing weather patterns and the rising seas and the mm -hmm. and the uh, sea life moving to colder waters. All of that stuff does have. Uh, a, a tremendous impact. And I'm just delighted that people are uh, talking less about climate change being a hoax and beginning to believe, okay, uh, we need to start doing something. And, and that 
shift in conversation together with this idea that uh, there is uh, an economy to be made and people can actually make money by going green, either, you know, from a homeowner going green to saving uh, on their electricity to businesses saving on energy costs and to businesses creating all of this green infrastructure, actually having a market to buy it and they can make money. And it's uh, uh, all of these things seem to be hitting together finally. And uh, it's encouraging for the future. I, I, I was going to just some philosopher. I won't pretend that I, I can either, either pronounce or remember his name, but the, the phrase about if you dare greatly, the universe will rise to meet you. Right. In a sense, <laughs> like that's that. what your legislation has done. Right. He said, OK, we're going to make we're making some big moves. And all of a sudden the Inflation Reduction Act shows up and, you know, the tide of opinion turns somewhat. I mean, it, it's it's a credit to the. I think the efforts you've made, right, that things things are happening. And so that's a really good thing. I don't think it was an accident that President Biden came to Brayton Point in Somerset, Massachusetts, to make his announcement uh, on pushing for the Inflation Reduction Act. That wasn't an accident because he recognized what was going on in Massachusetts. He recognized the uh, historical significance of what Brayton Point stood for and what it will be going on to the future. And he recognized uh, the leadership role that uh, Massachusetts has taken in the, the climate space. And certainly uh, in Senator Markey, we have somebody who has been uh, moving in this direction his entire career as a, both a, a, a congressman and now as a senator. And uh, uh, you know, it just was the place to make yeah, that yeah, particular announcement. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I was tickled that, uh, you know, this is where he chose. And uh, I was even more thrilled uh, when I got an invitation to go to the White House and be there for the ceremonial uh, event uh, about the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, you really? Know, you were never, there. Good for you. That's I've great. never been invited to the White House in my life. Uh, I've been there as a tourist taking the, the guided tour, but uh, to get a formal invitation from the president of the United States and then be there uh, on the lawn, um, you know, to witness mm -hmm. speeches by the president, the vice president, the speaker of the house, the Senate president, and to even hear uh, three songs from James Taylor, who opened up the ceremony. <laughs> Um, I can't begin to tell you um, how what what a thrill that was uh, to be part of this and to be among colleagues from throughout the country because he had invited uh, uh, legislators from throughout uh, the United States to be there, and it was uh, a very special moment. I was there with uh, several colleagues from Massachusetts, and really hit on the themes about what we need to do uh, to dampen the effects of climate change. And uh, a real serious uh, discussion has taken place over the past few years. And now some meaningful legislation has been passed at both the state and federal levels. Uh, this was the first significant piece of climate legislation in over 40 years at the federal level. Right. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, I, I wasn't prepared for the particular event. I happened to be in Washington, D.C. Uh, with my wife on vacation. I did not bring a suit with me. I did not bring any dress clothes with me. I was there for uh, entirely for recreation. But on sev at 730 uh, a.m. on that Tuesday morning, I get this invitation and it says uh, the president would like you uh, request your presence at an event. Can you be mm -hmm. at the White House? Uh, between 12.30 and 2.30, the event's going to start at 3. And I uh, went to my wife and I said, well, uh, I said, uh, I'm not sure I can go. I didn't bring any dress clothes. She said, go to a store, <laughs> pick out what you need. You need to be there. And uh, so I went, I walked into a men's warehouse, happened to be across the street from the hotel. I was at the Mayflower, which is two blocks up from the White House. And mm -hmm. I walked in and uh, told him what I needed. He goes, are you looking for anything special? <laughs> I said, yes, a 42 short that needs no alteration. <laughs> 
Oh man! Indeed. And that's interesting. You get you. They give you. Be, is that the protocol? Is you get four or five hours notice? No, no. I some of my colleagues had gotten, uh, oh. you know, uh, invitations weeks in advance. Um, I don't know where I am on the pecking order, but the, uh, mm. I, I look at. Uh, I was pleased. I didn't care when it came, as long as yeah. it was before the event. Right. For sure. <laughs> that's great. That's great. For sure. Yeah, and I think the uh, one of the points we've kind of been touching on and getting around to is that clearly the climate issues, uh, the events that have been occurring, uh, people are starting to recognize just because you're in what every party household, the climate's not going to differ differentiate. It's just going to do what it's going to do. So we need to come together, all of us, put party politics aside and get the work done. And that's the work that's ahead of us. Um, in kind of a local piece, specifically Massachusetts anyway, uh, a lot of people got the news last week with National Grid and I think Eversource filing their rate changes are uh, proposed anyway. Exactly how much of that will come through, that still needs to go through the process. But we're fortunate in certainly in the future, ideally with more electricity via solar and wind and then potentially even with the the main pipeline finally bringing the uh, water power electricity down from Quebec will be in a better position. But really locally in Franklin, we have the municipal aggregation, which <laughs> helps local folks save um, in and the contract is good through November 23. So that those are all good local pieces. And it'd be nice for more of that to certainly happen. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, um, we had been warned uh, that the um, energy rates were going to uh, be increased. Uh, uh, in fact, when I made my um, opening remarks back on March 3rd of 2022, talking about the need to do uh, the offshore wind bill and the bill that we had proposed to do in the House, I started off my comments uh, with with three things. One uh, was talking about uh, the IPCC report that had come out uh, in February of 2022, warning us about uh, the dangers of climate change uh, on a global scale and uh, that we were running out of time to do something. Uh, then um, I talked about uh, the November 2021 vote by the citizens of the state of Maine, which was uh, putting an end to the project that would bring hydropower from Quebec down to Massachusetts. Uh, that vote has since been overturned by the Maine Supreme Court. Uh, but at the time, it was a very realistic thing that uh, we weren't going to see hydropower from Massachusetts. And my third item was uh, Russia had invaded Ukraine the week before. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, we really have to give thought to uh, energy independence and not having to rely upon uh, imports from either a foreign country or, or another state, because Massachusetts relies heavily on natural gas as a source of power. In fact, if you look at the ISO app, which we talked about the last mm -hmm. time, it's, it's in the 60% range. Yep. Uh, and natural gas we get uh, from from Pennsylvania through pipelines, and there's just such a, there's a limited capacity to how much that can come up on those pipelines. But we also import it from foreign countries that comes in on on tanker ships uh, to the port in Everett, and uh, all of that was uh, you know thrown into a, a mess with Russia threatening and shutting off the supply of natural gas to Europe. So now Europe is competing for the same resources that the United States is looking for. And, uh, you know, we could see that back in March that you know, this could potentially lead uh, to a real problem. And folks, uh, we have uh, off the coast of Massachusetts, uh, this thing called wind, and it happens to be the most robust wind in the contiguous United States. And we need to lessen our dependence on natural gas. First, uh, natural gas is a dirty fuel. 
and it's uh, polluting our environment. And secondly, we have to rely on uh, on exports. Uh, if we develop wind, that's ours. It's there. We get it, and it, and it will be there for a long time because you know if the wind stops blowing uh, out in the ocean. Uh, we have much deeper problems uh, because that means uh, there's something catastrophic happening to the earth. So that's a great source. And we took advantage of it. Um, and uh, the bill did pass. And, you know, it took until August to get it uh, to the governor. But we have taken the steps uh, to establish energy independence. All that means is uh, that for the for the time being, and it'll be several years, we have to compete with other nations and other states for a limited supply of natural gas, and that drove the price through the roof. Thankfully, as you had pointed out, uh, the town of Franklin has a municipal aggregation plan, and uh, we're actually doing some research uh, to to give some more information to residents in Franklin that last checked 566 people had opted out of the municipal aggregation in Franklin. We're trying to get more recent numbers, um, but for the time being, and up until November of 2023, mm -hmm. Franklin residents will not be hit with that uh, increase because we are locked in at 10.7 cents uh, per kilowatt hour uh, up until November 2023. My concern, and I and I don't want to be a downer on this, nope. but uh, our municipal aggregators, and there are several of them throughout the Commonwealth, have made a bet that uh, they can buy energy uh, cheaply and pass that on. Um, I hope that they have sufficient ability to survive making mm -hmm. that very sure, bad bet sure. uh, you know it wouldn't surprise me to see some of these uh, aggregation companies uh, run into financial struggles as a result of that bet so um, we are closely monitoring that because we don't want to see uh, people affected uh, by some of these places either potentially filing bankruptcy or going out of business. So uh, we are definitely watching for that. Uh, we're hoping that uh, I don't know anything in particular about the company that supplies um, the service to Franklin, um, but I hope they are solvent and can meet their obligations over the next uh, year or so. Yeah, in my conversation with Jamie Helen, our town administrator, he was concerned not so much this year, of course, because we have the rate it's guaranteed at this point. But you raised that issue as well. But even going into the negotiation for the rate continuation when the next contract comes up, clearly at that point, depending upon the other geopolitical issues and the supply demand situation, the rate probably will go up at that point, but hopefully it would be up at least less than some of the other rates, if you will. But all of that is future. We don't know what's going to happen, but yeah. Right. It's you know, it's definitely something to think about because yeah. November 2023, believe it or not, is not that far away. <laughs> no. Um, no. And, you know, we're, we're insulated from price hikes right now, but that doesn't insulate us from price hikes post November 2023. Right. Yeah, and in terms of the 500 us or so who had opted out, there's at least two reasons I know that legitimately they could opt out. If they have their own solar system, clearly they don't need it. That's fine. And if they had another contract that had terms that had not yet expired so they could switch, that also is a legitimate reason. I haven't heard of a third one yet. So again, listeners, if there's a third reason you know of, let us know. I'd like to add that to the mix as we have these conversations going forward. But um, yeah, I guess one question I have is in Jeff, I think you've laid it out right that Massachusetts is beholden to a global market, right? And so the gas prices go up and you nothing you can do. Well, no, you can't do anything about that gas price because of the competition. And I would just note that I think I've seen reports that they suspect Russia blew up two of the gas pipeline that comes from Russia to go into Germany, which further exacerbates the whole issue of what's, what's that price going to do? Uh, I, I guess for me, though, that then begs kind of a question is what's can, 
are there other things? I mean, there's, of course, there's usually like less electricity, which has goes into all kinds of efficiency stuff that mass save would have, right? There's, I mean, there are programs that the, in the summertime where the Department of Public, where the utilities will um, ask companies to turn off power, right? To conserve power in the summertime during heat waves. But such a similar thing doesn't exist in the wintertime for various reasons, you know, that are arcane. But I, I guess the question is, is there anything statewide that we should be thinking about doing that would reduce the demand, soften whatever price shocks are coming? And, you know, I know you were working as fast as we can to get wind and solar in, right? But managing, and for me, then that goes one step further to the transparency of the decision-making of the people who decide whether or not how to manage these electricity programs during the winter, uh, you know, ISO and the DPU. I mean, I know that there is in the new legislation, a, a committee, I think you called it, uh, transparency with regard to ISO or, or transmission. I mean, how do you think, what are you thinking about that aspect of stuff? Well, um, <clears throat> I don't know that these pieces are going to uh, provide immediate relief. Uh, in terms of immediate relief, some of the things that we are having conversations about uh, are whether we can um, supply consumers with aid, financial aid, uh, during these uh, price spikes. So that's something we can do immediately. Um, but in terms of long-term planning, obviously, offshore wind is something that's part of the mix. And, uh, you know, believe it or not, the um, Vineyard Wind Project, which is already underway, uh, could be producing power as early as late 2023 or uh, 2024 early. And that's enough energy to power 300,000 homes. Hmm. So, uh, you know, that's something we're looking forward to. We're also looking at other uh, regional procurements, such as the uh, hydro from Quebec. That's an enormous amount of power coming down. Uh, there's an uh, offshore wind, I mean, I'm sorry, I apologize, an onshore wind farm that they're proposing for Northern Maine uh, that we've authorized the administration to uh, have conversations and enter into negotiations for the potential purchase of that type of energy. And um, actually have been talking to folks uh, about uh, potential procurement of uh, nuclear energy from places like Millstone uh, down in uh, Waterford, Connecticut. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but uh, a few years ago, uh, the state of Connecticut and uh, Millstone entered into a power purchase agreement at 4.9 cents a kilowatt hour. Mm. And uh, that facility uh, powers about 2 million homes. And uh, they have additional energy that they would like to uh, put into the grid. So um, it's my belief that the regional um, planning that we included in the new legislation will authorize uh, Massachusetts to enter into a potential power purchase agreement uh, with Millstone. And my purpose in going down and visiting there last week was to, you know, get a better sense of how that plant works, um, you know, get a up close and personal view of the safety protocols that are in place uh, to make sure that, uh, you know, we can do this in a safe manner. And because uh, it's certainly clean energy. Um, the question is, um, you know, is it is it dangerous? And, uh, um, you know, I think, I think you, 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 Jeff, you're on to a very important point when I think, I mean, as you probably know, nuclear, nuclear power is this hot button issue among climate people, right? People have very strong opinions, one both for and against, uh, nuclear power. And I think that the, um, I think what you're talking about is the, I, I think the pragmatic path, right? Yeah. That there's an existing power plant, right? 
if it were to be shut down for any reason, it would probably be replaced with a gas-powered plant, right? Yep. And so that's worse. Yeah, right? how are you going to heat no one, those two million homes? That right. it's and and, and no one's today. proposing a new nuclear plant, which is a thirty-year right. process, right? And I and it's an ugly kind of uh, of uh, compromise. But I mean, tapping into that power is since it's running is as long as it can be done safely and you're right to check all of the safety protocols and the decommissioning and all that. But I mean, this is, this is one where, you know, people like yourself are in a hot seat and I think you're making the right call to contemplate, uh, you know, using that power because it's there. Right. And right. it is, it's, right. it's, you know, you can get into the nuances. I'm, I'm a, my training's in nuclear physics and I get antsy every time I hear the word of nuclear power, but it is there and it's yeah. a, you know, we're, we're in a tough straits. So right. I, mean, I say good on you. So the, uh, you know, the other piece, so they have three units there, one that was decommissioned back in 1995 uh, they don't want to bring it back as a um, traditional nuclear power plant. But one of the things they were talking about was uh, bringing in the modular units uh, and putting them in unit number one. Uh, and I can't remember the math of how many modular yeah, units yeah. they had to put yeah. in to uh, replicate what unit one was producing. But uh, it was an amazing and creative solution to rather than building another nuclear plant, they could bring in these modular units uh, in, in a certain number and produce the same amount of power out of a third unit. It was, uh, it was fascinating to see. I don't know how long they are in the process, but, uh, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's engaging these, in these conversations. Uh, to leave all options um, on the table. And certainly the other piece uh, is we can use less electricity and we can use it more efficiently. And I think this goes into um, the concept of uh, home electricity monitoring that uh, is something that I have been studying, which leads us into a discussion of smart metering in our mm -hmm. homes. Sure. Okay. Yeah. You know, right now you've got a meter outside your home that's uh, that's very dumb. It tells you how much electricity you used, and you get a bill based on that. Yep. You have Blue no idea. Number. Yeah. Right. You have no idea what's going on uh, in that house. And we've had legislation we've been reviewing that uh, forces the utilities to move uh, into smart metering. And so, I, you know... As the chair of the committee that's going to decide this, I said, well, I want to learn more about these smart meters. I took a trip out to uh, Schneider Electric a few weeks ago. They're up in Andover. They make a lot of these uh, components, and I wanted to see uh, what they were doing. And uh, they introduced me to a, a module that you can actually attach to your power panel uh, in your home. It reads what's coming through the two main lines uh, with a, a magnetic uh, pulse and using artificial intelligence, it can then isolate what pieces in your house are using the electricity. Is it your refrigerator, your dishwasher, your, your DVR? your uh, you know dehumidifier it learns all those pieces so amazingly i bought that device to put in my house and um, my office had set up a meeting with for me the the following week and they said you're going to be going to this company called sense in cambridge and i said okay uh, and it had to do with metering so i go to sense and i i'm sitting there and i said i you know, they showed me this device. I said, I just bought one of those uh, <laughs> and I'm having it installed on Saturday. And they said, well, we are the company that has the software called Sense that takes the data from that device and uh, uses artificial intelligence to tell you what's happening. So there's an app on my phone, but these folks are sitting in an office in Cambridge and they're analyzing all this data and, uh, you know, in combination with the artificial intelligence, 
dictating what's what devices are on. So they give you the feedback so that uh, you can be begin to learn to be more economical and efficient in in your appliances. But more importantly, um, this type of data is valuable uh, to you know folks in the energy field about ways we can more efficiently use uh, energy. And one of those areas, uh, you know, as vehicle charging becomes uh, much more prominent in people's homes, um, we part of the legislation we passed was telling the utilities that they had to offer programs to encourage uh, users to charge their vehicles off peak sure. and offer rebates. So uh, if you look at your existing infrastructure in your home and the dumb meter, there's no way that a utility can offer you a rebate for doing uh, off-peak charging because they have no idea what's going on in your home. And these smart meters will enable them to do that. So uh, in addition, so the device that I installed is something that they also manufacture uh, for metering technology that the utilities can install outside your home in place of the dumb meter and get all of this information. And then they can begin to offer you uh, the discounts so that you'll use less energy during peak periods and, and use it uh, during the, uh, during uh, the, you know, the middle of the night when yeah, there's the less. I was just going to say, Jeff, I could jump in just to, to... People may not be familiar with the off-peak and you know, all those kind of phrases, but the base load in your house is essentially your refrigerator running overnight. I mean, that's essentially the only thing on at 3 a.m. is the refrigerator and maybe your uh, cable box, right? But the this meter would allow the utilities to give you a discount at those times when there's a lot of capacity on the grid to make electricity easily and greenly to charge your car up, do your dishwasher, run your dishwasher, do stuff like that. Uh, and it's a yeah. way to connect um, actual costs to what time of day you run things. And there's an incentive there. And that's a good thing, right? Right. And then they can also, through this, can tell you if there's a shorted wire somewhere in your home that's causing mm -hmm. you to use uh, more energy. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know... If they're a, a leak or, or if you have a device that's plugged in that you don't use all the time while well, it's consuming energy, they'll, mm -hmm. they can tell you, why don't you unplug that device and it'll, it'll use less energy. The, the types of bulbs that you use, uh, if you're still using incandescent, incandescent bulbs, you're, uh, you're wasting a lot of energy in producing heat, which you don't need from your light bulbs. You get that from your uh, highly efficient uh, boiler. Yeah, but, you know, all these things <laughs> that you can begin to have conversations and uh, the folks at Sense were so excited that I was putting this in my house. They invited me to come back uh, in a month after this uh, technology was running in my house. And they said, we are going to sit with you in front of the computer and show you your house Ooh. Uh, and, can we uh, can we watch? Can we be there? That would be fascinating. Uh, yeah. Road trip, road trip. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, these guys are they're all MIT scientists and uh, they came up with, uh, you know, this model. And as I had said earlier in the program, they had identified a way to uh, be green and be efficient. And run a business. So, you mm -hmm. know, they make money selling these devices and that's, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, but they're making devices that are improving the world and improving the climate. So what could be better than that? No, absolutely. And it's, it's a relatively simple thing. If people have ever looked at kind of a sound wave, well, there is a, a, sig a similar signature, if you will, for an electrical wave. And what they've apparently been doing is to, via the AI identifying this wave is electric for the refrigerator, this wave is for the light, this is for the air conditioner, and thereby putting that together to make sense of the signals and the power actually going through the wires. And it's like, cool, yeah, that, yeah. that can work. All right. 
And, you know, just think if we had this technology in place 30, 40 years ago, um, we'd be having much different discussions today. And this is incredibly valuable data. Um, I will say that uh, the data privacy concerns are real. That was going to come up. And uh, we, we did talk about that. Uh, um, you know, you, you have to be careful. I, I know when I was putting the device in, the first thing my wife said is, why do I want Big Brother watching what's mm -hmm. happening? I said, well, it's not the most exciting home in the world, um, but, uh, you know, it's going to help us. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I was flabbergasted when I opened my electric bill last month and it was $601. I said, there are two of us living in this house. Right. Wow. Where is all this electricity going? Sure. And um, I have found a way to figure that out. And uh, well, that's a famous, you know, business school management phrase that if what you don't measure, you can't manage. Right. And until you, you can go. actually measure these things, you can't do anything about it. And so right. this first step of, of measuring, knowing how much of your power is going to the refrigerator versus all the uh, the wall warts that you have on the sort mm -hmm. of charges you forgot to pull out. Right. Yeah, all that. Well, it's a great thing. An auxiliary and, and benefit. Yeah, yeah, auxiliary benefit. It should help us reinforce that all oh, every time we do buy something, whether it's a you know major appliance or small thing, and it has the energy save sticker on it, we'll actually be able to confirm that okay, yes, it is truly using only this amount because now we can tell. Whereas before, there was no way individually we would know what that is. Yeah, I'm looking here at the at the meter. My my wife must have just turned something on because uh, the, the one of the bubbles just got larger. And, uh, I'm using oh, more water. Excuse me. I need to call her and tell her to turn that thing off. Yes, yes. I hope Big she doesn't. Big brother is watching. No, yeah. he, he, <laughs> no, it is amazing. And, and, you know, he showed me his house and he showed me all of uh, his devices, which you can see on an app. And and yeah. I think, Ted, you hit it on the on the head if if you can – if you can see it and you understand it, you can manage it. And uh, this will make me a better energy consumer. And uh, the hope is that we're going to see this type of metering technology replace the dumb meters so that everybody uh, will have an opportunity uh, to save energy mm -hmm. and save money and save the climate. Yeah. And knowing, having had somewhat of a background, certainly in privacy and information security, et cetera, there are ways to capture the data in an aggregate way. So it is not, you know, truly personal info to that extent. Yes, it's going to get associated to the household. But then the benefits for that, I think, is what is going to offset some of the risks. Because now in that pilot we talked about at the beginning, you know, with a geothermal district now you'll know that there's, whether it's 10, 12, 15, whatever number of households are in that district, you could even do some localized, you know, offsetting and shifting, et cetera, and manage better at that level where it's going on. Never mind bringing it up to an aggregate level, figuring out they'll identify at some point, oh, by the way, this particular device um, is probably and a smart electrical company at that point would say, hey, on the one hand, this device is using an awful lot of electricity and we like it. But on the other hand, it's killing us because we now have to go buy more natural gas and we can't afford it. So let's do some rebates to get that one device out of the market and thereby avoid its usage. Yep. The possibility is there. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, I just see uh, only good coming from that um, because we have to be smarter consumers mm -hmm. and we have to have a better understanding of where the energy comes from, how we use it. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a resource and we should know what's coming in and what's going out and uh, whether we are, utilizing it properly. And this type of metering device um, offers us that opportunity. And it also offers uh, the scientists and the analysts out there uh, information that they can use to help us improve um, in our energy usage and, you know, get a much 
better handle on uh, how it's being used and how we can improve it. I, I'm excited. I was interested in smart metering technology before I went to these places. Uh, I'm much more enthusiastic about it now. And uh, I know that I recently, um, at one of the recycling events that uh, we hosted out in Medway last week, I returned an old dehumidifier, got a, a, a $30 uh, rebate, rebate for turning it in and went out and immediately bought a highly efficient unit and I'm getting another $30 back and I'm going to use a heck of a lot less energy. And mm-hmm. and that's only because uh, these opportunities out are out there and I'm able to educate myself about that. And it's my hope for uh, everyone uh, in Franklin and Medway and across the Commonwealth. I'm urging my colleagues to do these types of events in their communities to really make smart um, consumers and help them make smart decisions. And I think in the side note, we were having uh, the, there's another event like that in Franklin come. And I think you said in the spring to sometime. We'll, we'll do one. Yeah. I'm going to make this an annual thing. Uh, and uh I, I just think they have been well received. Uh, and when you see 150 dehumidifiers turned in in mm-hmm. a three hour period, uh, that's exciting. Uh, they have already exceeded what they did in 2021 in terms of uh, the uh, number of dehumidifiers turned in statewide just from the few events that we have had. So a lot of people have this stuff sitting sitting around, sure. just don't know what to do with it. And uh, these have uh, provided opportunities for them to bring the stuff back. But we also have uh, booths out there with uh, folks uh, offering information. And, and one of the booths I know you wanted to talk about was uh, Mass Save. Yes. And what options are available to consumers uh, under Mass Save. Uh, we'll continue to invite mass save to come to these and hopefully uh, people will get out of their cars and spend some time and sign up for energy audits for their homes because what better way to find out what how you can save money than to have a, a team of folks come in and look at your home and make recommendations and better than better yet help you pay for those improvements mm-hmm. there's a boatload of money available under mass save it's to the tune of four billion dollars that's sitting out there that's like a bank account for all of us that they can use to um, make their home energy efficient. So look at your electric bill uh, someday and uh, you'll see a charge on there that you have been paying uh, with every monthly electric bill you've been paying. Mm -hmm. And it's accumulated into a $4 billion bank account that's there and available to help you insulate your attic uh, use LED bulbs, uh, use uh, different types of uh, power strips for your devices. Um, they put uh, uh, strips under your doors to prevent drafts coming in. Uh, if you get uh, uh, better window uh, windows in your home, if you replace that oil-fired burner with a heat pump, uh, the, the range of uh, items that are available to you are are very lengthy. I can't go through them uh, off the top of my head, but uh, you have a mass save energy audit done in your home and uh, they'll give you all of that information in the form of a brochure or a checklist. And I highly recommend you do it. It's not, uh, you know, I remember the first time getting a call about having somebody come in and look at my home. I said, that's very creepy. Mm-hmm. Who are these people? Uh, no, I don't want them in my home. But a friend of mine had had it done, uh, told me about it. And uh, I went and had it done. And uh, they did a remarkable amount of work in my home and have helped me save money. You can do it every three years. I plan on having it done again in the next couple of months. So mm-hmm. I urge everyone to do it. Yeah, I had mine several years ago and I did get between LEDs and some other things here and there. Um, but yeah, every three years, I think is a good cycle because things are changing almost that quickly. And uh, there's another step, another piece in the evolution. And clearly with 
the roadmap and other things that you're working on, there'll be additional incentives coming for, you know, the heat pumps, et cetera, that we're talking about as well. So right. yeah, there's always opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule today to help us make more sense of climate and Ted as well. Thank you for joining us. Um, we, I'm, I'm thinking probably maybe every couple of months because there's enough going on Jeff's side that we probably should slip him in on a regular basis. Be happy to do it. I, it is amazing uh, what's going on out there. And I'm going to leave a little teaser for the next time we get together. Um, I'm going to want to talk about blade testing. I, I visited the wind uh, blade testing facility out in Charlestown. And uh, let's talk about that the next time we get mm -hmm. together, because there's some exciting stuff happening in that industry as well. And Massachusetts, once again, is at the top of the heap, top of the heap and leading the way. Mm. Yeah, sounds like wind dynamics. So, yeah, that'll be a good teaser for all you listeners. Stay tuned. Uh, we'll be including in the show notes uh, links appropriately for things we've talked about, including to mass save, so you can schedule that energy audit. And maybe even before next time, we'll also have some uh, feedback on Jeff's monitoring and seeing what he's getting uh, from his new sensor. So perfect, boy! So we've got we've got two teasers. Two uh, the teasers. last time we did the show, we uh, we teased him with whether the governor was going to sign the bill. And now we've got uh, two teasers They're They're going to think that this is a, a, a series. <laughs> it, it could be part of our existing series. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Well, thank you again, both of you for participating in this and for the and the listeners. Thank you. And as a quick reminder, we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.